Today is May 18th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, J. Stokom Aki. Hi, my name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the land of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south and the opposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey uh, Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. Uh, I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today I'm really lucky to have a person I would even call him my friend because of the years of getting to know each other and having similar circles of talking about issues that matter to us both. So um, I know when uh, Manmeet Bular was still alive and I called him the honorable minister, he would correct me when Rachel Notley got into power. And uh, I know you would do the same thing, but I'm still gonna say the honorable uh, Richard Feehan because he was the Indian Affairs Minister for um, Alberta. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself in the way that you would like, Richard. Right, well, the uh, nice thing about it is you can just call me Richard, so can everyone. Uh, there was a time, of course, where you uh, kind of get to given a title that you need to respect, but right now I get to just be me. So that's really nice. But uh, I'm Richard Fian and, and uh, with some of the titles, you know, I, I um, am uh, the MLA for Edmonton Rutherford now, and I'm also the uh, Indigenous Relations Critic for the NDP Caucus as well, as well as a chair of the NDP um, Alberta's Future Committee. So those are all my official titles, but my real life, I am born and raised in Edmonton here on Treaty 6 territory, 
uh, of course, the home of many people. And I tell you, if I go down to the Blackfoot community in Southern Alberta, they tell me this south side of Edmonton is Blackfoot territory. And if I talk to the Cree, they tell me it's Cree territory. And of course, we have the Nakota Sioux right outside of town too, who tell me it's their territory. So I am just gonna say, you know, this is a wonderful place that is <laughs> desired by many people. And uh, as a result, you know, you know, I, you know, it's just, it is a great place with wonderful history and lots of, lots of good people. And I acknowledge them all. And of course, you know, we're actually one of the largest Inuit communities in the country here. I do uh, know that. And I know that because my family is Yellowknife Dene and we oh, have right. so many folks that are like the Dene, the Métis and the Inuit in Yellowknife are like all together, like really almost like a yeah. pan-Indigenous. But um, so many have moved to Edmonton, including my own mother and my uh, uncle and my my granny. They all live in Edmonton, so I know. <laughs> so and of course, you know, we have a very large Métis population here in Edmonton as well, and and of course around this whole area. So uh, you know, it's been a real privilege of mine to get to know an awful lot of different groups of people and something at least of all of their histories, because people are very generous about sharing some of it. And my own, you know, uh, descendants, of course, are largely from the British Isles. Um, you know, mostly we would say Ireland, but as as it turns out, we seem to have more Scottish in us than we realized. Uh, my brother did one of those DNA tests, and we were a bit surprised to get the answer back. Isn't that but, uh, true? I did the same thing and had the same problem. So please continue. <laughs> No, please continue about your settler heritage. I think it's really important to discuss yeah. it. And, yeah. You know, my people came from Ireland primarily, especially if you take the Fian side. Of course, there's, we have many sides, right? You know, my mother's side is Hammond. And of course, my grandparents had four different names and so on. Uh, but the, if you take the Fian side, they, they came to Canada in the early 1800s. Um, mostly in Newfoundland and Prince Edward Island. If you go down to Prince Edward Island, you can still run into a lot of Fians. Uh, but in Western Canada, the, there are very, very few of us. Uh, in fact, um, my, uh, my father and my uh, uncle came from Saskatoon uh, back in the 1950s to Edmonton. And all the Fians in Alberta are descendants of those two men. So, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> So it's a small population here. Some of you, uh, if you may, might happen to have been raised in Saskatoon, know there is a high school there called E.D. Fian High School, and that's my grandfather, their father. And um, it, it's an interesting school because it has um, um, designated it in whatever process they use as a, a First Nations kind of focused community school. And uh, I follow them on Twitter and they do all kinds of very interesting stuff. Just last week, they had a, uh, a uh, ribbon skirt day and uh, things like that, you know, so lots, lots of kind of activities. But, but here I am now living uh, in uh, Edmonton and uh, pretty much my whole life. I just only lived in Ontario for a couple of years when I went to school for a while. And then you always think of yourself as a student, not really living there, you know, just kind of resident while you're going to school. But I've lived here my, my whole life. And, and uh, you know, I've, um, I'm, I'm getting to be an old guy now. You know, I'm 61 and uh, that's a lot of years. And uh, I've been uh, an elected official for, I guess, six of them. So, wow. Yeah. What Three, a, 
and and the time that you've been elected um like honestly it's just such a breath of fresh air holy i uh because i mean i was born and raised here too and i know what it's like just to constantly hear these progressive conservatives um actually fell into a bunch of kevin taft's books and that's what yeah. i would probably say what made me a liberal the most was that um much to the chagrin of my union boilermaker father so <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Kevin's. Uh, our, our children went to the same school together, so I used to see him all the time back when our kids were young. And now my kids have their own kids, so I don't see uh, <laughs> people at schools anymore. But uh, um, yeah, no, I have a lot of, let me tell you, I have a lot of respect for Kevin. And in fact, when I, I first was given this job as the um, head of the economic uh, committee, the Alberta's future committee for the Alberta caucus, I, I called him and we went out to lunch. Uh, together so that I could say to him, Kevin, you know, you're one of the guys I've always respected. So tell me what you think needs to happen economically in this province. And he did. He gave me some good advice. I really appreciate it. He's so approachable. I've talked to him on the phone as well. Um, when his most recent book came out, I think it was, say, 2015-ish, and it really talked about that, you know, um, global shift from policy on fossil fuels and how, like, as an Albertan, he obviously who cares about Alberta, he made this book to basically say, look, like, you know, we have to adapt because if we don't, um, the rest of the world is, and we're going to be left behind if we don't. So it, it was such a great book, I thought, to kind of dissect that international lens. And yeah. I can't believe it, like, here we are, what, six years later, and now people are starting to wake up, <laughs> recognize this is the way of the, the future in the world. And um, federally, because I've been a liberal, I knew that there were a lot of barriers that were in place from transitioning away from uh, fossil fuels. So we were, I was really proud of our federal policy that we put forward for geothermal. And um, actually it was Saskatchewan that put in their first bit of geothermal. And I was all like offended, like a princess, like, hey, at Ottawa, we put that forward. And like Alberta liberals put that forward. How dare you? But they're like, don't worry, Michelle, it's coming, it's coming. And then uh, Rachel Notley with being elected, she had made the, those changes as well. And and because the federal policies worked and the provincial ones were working, we were seeing geothermal starting in the in the uh, province, wow. which was super exciting. And um, from my understanding, a lot of that's been reversed. But maybe if you have, do you have any perspective on that? Well, certainly, uh, you know, uh, we uh, when we came in, of course, we had a big agenda around moving to renewable energy and the whole a climate leadership program was centered on that. The whole reason why we even had the carbon levy was so that we could, um, you know, discourage the the um, GHGs and uh, and encourage alternatives. And we used the money from the uh, from the carbon levy to actually help get things started. So, you know, one of the things I know that people talk about now is how we really have um, become a, a place where people are coming to build wind and solar and uh, and of course you know the current government is celebrating that that's being done by the uh, private economy but we like to remind them that the reason why the private economy is even coming here now is because we use the carbon levy dollars to initiate um, the types of things that are necessary to get the ball rolling and uh, you know uh, one of the things I was most proud of it in my whole time as Minister of Indigenous Relations was that um, Minister Shannon Phillips at the time, who was the environment minister, now she's the MLA for Lethbridge West, uh, and um, 
she uh, took a big cut of that in, in uh, the, uh, the carbon levy dollars and gave it to my ministry and called it the Indigenous Climate Leadership Initiative. So we had a whole bunch of money. Um, uh, it was it, it started off, I think, $35 million the first year and went up to 50. And it was going to be $50 million ongoing forever until that program got killed by the present UCP government. But but uh, you know that 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 was a, a really big part of what we did. Um, one of uh, probably my most central uh, program in the time I was there, and as a result of that, you know, all 48 First Nations in this province, all eight Métis settlements, and the Métis um, Nation of Alberta, and the Friendship Centers all used the money from that program to initiate something in their communities. Some of them, it was education. Some of them, it was assessment of homes for future development. Some of them, they built solar fields. I mean, we have solar fields like the one down uh, in Ermanskin, for example. That's a, a megawatt all by itself. And that was all uh, done through that Indigenous Climate Leadership Program. Um, and, and geothermals, where you started, was, was going to be a part of that. Now, it hadn't really developed to the stage and actually still hasn't really developed to the stage where we think it's going to be providing a lot of energy in the immediate future. But we know that Alberta is a good place for geothermal. And in fact, if anybody wants to read the NDP policy on it, sorry, I got to do the political thing. Do. For a yeah, absolutely. But if you want to read it, you just have to go to albertasfuture.ca. And our geothermal policy has been up there for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says really clearly what we're going to support and how we're going to support it and how we're going to move geothermal uh, right through the, uh, you know, the gray and blue geothermal models into the green geothermal models. And, wow. uh, and uh, you know, eventually get to a place where uh, we're doing um, some, you know, some good things um, for, the, for this province. So, yeah, well, and, and I think like it should really be emphasized that the energy companies that have been existing here for decades wanted to make those transitions and we're working on those things. So I think that uh, the NDP coming in with their ideas and their and their policies, like it was such a, a wonderful moment, I thought, for Alberta of a, that example of switching over. And I know a lot of Alberta liberals were very keen on on what was happening with the NDP. And once upon a time, we used to have just constructive dialogue. but. Um, and I'm not saying that the NDP and the Liberals don't, I'm just saying, because um, especially federally, we're like the same party in a lot of ways, but that idea that the UCP has just um, changed the dialogue and the volume in, in Alberta from having constructive conversations to that. And I also like to remind Jason Kenney, because while he was a federal conservative, you know, he was the barrier to a lot of those uh, constructive green energy transitions that the private industry wanted. So yeah. I would back you and uh, the NDP on a lot of that rhetoric because it was true. And on I'm, I'm when I retweet as a, like a federal liberal, that's a lot where the lens comes from. And then with um, the provincial liberals, you know, I'm very proud of the platform that we um, ran with and I thought that it would really I thought an NDP um, government with a with a couple of liberals would really be a, a positive change for Alberta but it, obviously that's not how it worked out now we're watching Portion and Phillips having to deal with these uh, 
Lethbridge beliefs spying on her. So it's just, it's incredible to me in, in such a short period of time, how we've gone from one extreme to another. And uh, I was just listening to the CBC and they were talking about the coal mines and that, um, you know, the number one issue of course was environmental uh, from the feedback that they did reply or receive. And uh, I was surprised they were even that transparent about that because frankly, they just have been so, um, uh, I guess obtuse when it comes to the results of these types of things so much to the point that I, I don't even see the need of you know putting in my efforts in a lot of times but when that survey first came out I did obviously because I wanted to make sure Indigenous perspective was included um, mm -hmm. outside from leadership Indigenous leadership because obviously that um, uh, can sometimes be the driving force through lawsuits and that as well um, but anyway doesn't matter. I was really grateful to hear you kind of discuss that because I hope that, you know, folks who legitimately care about a green energy and green transition see that that is there. And another thing that I would really compliment because I'm a federal liberal and you as the provincial um, was the transition from cannabis because I thought, uh, wait, I have a few books. I don't have them here with me right now, but um, a lot of policy changes that went forward were better than some of the rollout across the country. And again, I thought that really came from the NDP leadership. And uh, did you want to discuss that at all? With regard to cannabis, did you say? Cannabis, yeah, from the from it being illegal. Like I, I do believe that the reason why we were successful in our rollout was because of the NDP right. um, provincially. Well, we certainly looked at uh, it for a long time. Uh, uh, Kathleen Ganley was our justice minister at the time, and she, uh, you know, even I believe she even went down to to Colorado and and uh, and uh, talked to them, and just did a lot of research on the best way to move forward. Um, we're also in a, a little bit of a different position here in Alberta in that we already have a diversified network with regard to alcohol. Um, whereas in Ontario, for example, they still have only government alcohol shops in lots of places. Um, and so we decided uh, that um, we would use a diversified model here for cannabis as well in Alberta, uh, rather than have the government tightly control it. And I think it turns out that that was the best way to do it. Um, that we, we certainly see uh, companies doing well overall. Um, and, and, you know, everybody who uh, sort of made the declaration that somehow we were all going to go to hell in a handbasket if we legalized marijuana. Uh, I do not believe they have the evidence uh, that uh, validates that position. No. <laughs> Actually, I remember when they legalized gay marriage. And uh, do you, I remember, do you remember that rhetoric with Ralph mm -hmm. Klein saying that he will invoke the uh, um, notwithstanding clause? <laughs> You know, and as it turns out, you know what? Actually, life has just gone on just very well and very normal. And people are using cannabis in completely reasonable ways, just like, you know, you know, uh, in many ways, it's less dangerous than alcohol, you know, uh, not completely. I mean, I don't want people getting stoned and driving, for example, uh, but I, I certainly uh, don't see that it, it's been a, a huge problem to legalize it in Alberta. And, and um, I, I think going forward, we've learned a lesson from that. Yeah, so. definitely. I love it. And it's just one of those things that make me happy. And I was glad to witness it from start to finish. Um, so what we have an election coming up, obviously, but uh, 
Uh, one of the things that I've been focused on is more municipal, just because that's the kind of the next declared uh, bunch of elections that we're going to be having. Federally, obviously, we're getting ready for an election because we have a minority government. So mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time until an election's called over some semantics here or there. Um, but then provincially, uh, you know, trying to encourage folks to understand the gravity of the need for them to run uh, municipally, federally, and provincially, and trying to encourage folks that are running municipally to see that now we're you, me, uh, you know, anyone who's political is is looking at who who is running municipally, what kind of values do they have? Do they align with mine? Do they align with yours? Who's who do they align with? And uh, reaching out to them and seeing what their plans are after the election. Obviously, we don't make those phone calls until um, a week after the election. But the bigger picture of um, you know, we're we're data mining right now and encouraging folks. So here in Ward 10, um, I ran in Ward 10 the last election, but we have a, a Black Lives Matter activist who's been, who's running. Her name is um, Leslin, and I'm really excited for her municipal run. And I think that she definitely aligns with NDP or liberal values. So um, that would be somebody that I hope she sees that, you know, this is a really good name recognition uh, moment running municipally. I mean, God let her win bigger picture, but that, you know, that idea that I want to encourage people to run knowing that there's, you know, it takes three or four sometimes elections before you get elected. Uh, what was running like for you? Well, I, you know, I happened to run in what was also called Word 10 here in Edmonton, um, uh, it, municipally before I ran provincially. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I, like so many other people, well, I, I uh, certainly had um, reason to believe I had support from the people who know me. Not many people knew me. Um, and um, I, I did reasonably well, I guess, you know, but I got creamed in the political sense. Um, but, uh, you know, I came in second, but uh, very far behind the, the candidate who won, um, who, who was, you know, a lot more well-known than me. But one of the things that happened is, um, you know, I spent, uh, um, you know, all that time and energy and money and, you know, asking all my friends to do the same for me, um, uh, building up, uh, you know, all the things necessary to have a more successful run when I switched over to provincial politics. And I think, in fact, I think that part of the reason why I even got invited by the NDP to run for them provincially was because they saw my run municipally. And of course, you know, I, I've been a long time NDP member anyways, uh, so I was known, but they, you know, Rachel came by and she looked at my campaign office and she went door to door with me during the municipal campaign. Awesome. Yeah, yeah it's really great. But she also got a chance to see, you know, uh, my wife was my campaign manager, Kathleen, and, you know, she's an extremely competent person. So we had a very organized campaign. Um, in fact, I think I raised more money in that municipal campaign where there's no tax receipts than I raised in the provincial campaign where there is tax receipts. Incredible. And that's largely due to my wife. She's just really great at what she does. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Rachel just saw we knew, knew something about how to run a campaign. And anything we didn't know, we kind of learned a few lessons from having run. And so, um, you know, like many other people, I lost before I won. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, I, I also was lucky. I, I happened to run provincially for the first time during the orange wave. 
we didn't know it was going to be an orange wave when we started that process. I, I, I was on the doors, you know, six or eight months before uh, before the actual election um, that year, and and we we'd done a lot of work. Um, and you know, even I, I remember talking, you know, with Rachel and a few of the other folks. Uh, at the beginning of that election, I think we were hoping to win maybe 10, if we got really lucky, maybe 12 seats in that election. <laughs> we, we ended up by winning 54. It, it, it's funny, there's a sort of family story about me sitting down with my, my wife, Kathleen, and my youngest child, Brendan, and uh, both of whom had worked very hard on my municipal campaign. And I was really worried because they both took it pretty hard when I lost in the municipal campaign because they, they just devoted so much time and energy and their hearts and souls, right? And, um, and I, I sat them down the night before the election and, and said, uh, look, it looks like we're doing reasonably well, but you know, you guys gotta be prepared. I might not win this. You know, I was really worried about it. And of course, <laughs> then the next day we ended up winning government. So you know, it tells you how unexpected it was for some of us, you know? I remember at that moment, I remember that moment, that uh, week leading up, and we were seeing that shift. And, and none of us could believe this, like, um, momentum that we were seeing the orange wave get. Like, I, I, I was floored. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And um, so Edmonton, more of a, you know, union, working class, um, like, you have a, a lot more chances of winning orange than I would as red, for sure. Yeah. So I, I was just really shocked and really, well, I was excited, too, because I, I hated conservatives. Like, it just can't stand them. I just can't stand them. They, they've just wrecked this province for so many decades. And, and it's that bigger picture, too, of ideology and the... Um, negativity that goes with it all of that so you know it was really exciting to see this like i was just gobsmacked that week and federally like we were hearing the numbers like you know how in political campaigns it's like you know this is what we all present publicly but behind the scenes we're like texting each other like look at these numbers i'm like what is happening what is happening so we were all excited because we were going to see some real progress and then so i remember the day that you had one that was like nenshi was my mayor Rachel Notley was my premier and Justin Trudeau was my my prime minister. That was like one of the happiest moments I can ever recall in an election ever. And I, you know, like that that bigger picture in in the sense that um, I had wished that I had won um, David Kahn, you know, there, there were so many different um, things happening in our it, it's so hard because even federally, it's the same problem where, yeah, Justin Trudeau won. But we had lost like I was running uh, Camp Stewart's campaign or not. I was running. I was with I was running with his campaign. Uh, we had a, a different campaign manager, actually. And just that crushing feeling of like oh, we lost again. But our bigger team had won. Right. So that, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, there's so much conflict during these campaigns because you want to win yourself and you never do. Well, I don't anyway. I don't know if I've ever won a campaign. I don't think so. <laughs> Just that bigger picture of federally, you know, because I'm in Calgary, of course, we didn't, um, it, it was a big deal when we had, you know, uh, Kent, Darshan, and Randy, and Amarjeet, like, we, when they all won, we were all celebrating because we had never done anything like that federally before, you know, but it was sad because, like, my riding where Cam Stewart didn't win, you know, it was like, ah, I thought for sure, if a white guy who is a former cop can't win, who can win? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Alberta is changing, and and uh, I, I think that 
at one time to run as a liberal, as my father did, by the way, uh, provincially uh, back in the late 60s, my first campaign when I was like seven years old. Wow. <laughs> my dad, but, um, but um, you know, there was a time when, when running liberal or NDP in Alberta was, um, you know, very nice of you to hold the flag, but uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> you're not going very far. And that's all changed now. Rachel yeah. Notley changed that completely. Um, and, and, and it isn't just because Rachel somehow came along and miraculously changed it. It's that she tuned into the fact that Alberta is actually changing. And Alberta was open to voting for NDP and she presented a very competent alternative. Turns out to be a very competent premier. Uh, done lots of incredible things and will again when she gets reelected. In the next right. Year. Honestly, like I just can't, I don't want to even like underemphasize how amazing of a premier she was. Yeah, um, she, you know, of course I can like nitpick some things, but that bigger picture, right. Where it was just like, it was such a breath of fresh air. Holy. Well, you know, you're never going to agree with any politician hundred percent of the time, uh, you know, uh, you know, not even their spouses agree with them 100% of the time. So, you know, why would the rest of us? Um, but I can tell you that uh, in terms of level of, of um, both competence and compassion, mm. I've never seen a leader that balanced those two in such, with such finesse as, as Rachel. Um, you know, I, I spend time with her enough to know that this is truly who she is. Um, you know, you, you can't fake it forever. And uh, I've never had a sense that she she's ever had to fake it for a second. Uh, it, but you know that because you've seen her time and time and time again in various situations, everything from, you know, those joyful moments where uh, she gets to be the wonderful, easy leader who just is celebrating something positive. Like beer. <laughs> Yeah, to the very tough moments, like, uh, geez, you know, there is no right answer here. Um, this is going to really hurt. And it's, somebody's going to be mad no matter which way you go. I've seen her handle those moments often. Um, and, you know, th th there were some huge challenges during the time that uh, we were in government. Don't forget that oil went from $120 a barrel in oil to $27 a barrel in oil, just as we took over government. We just lost most of our income. And... Um, and uh, of course, then we had the Fort McMurray fire and, you know, uh, just uh, things like that. It's not like she wasn't tested and oh. uh, certainly was. And I thought she came through that pretty damn well, you know. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, you know, her and her staff, um, you know, I, I remember uh, one of my favorite people still, Sandra Jansen, and I'm friends with one of her um one of the folks that worked with her like very close because she was a federal liberal as well. Um, not Sandra, but her, my friend who worked with Sandra. And, uh, you know, I just, I can't tell you enough how heartbreaking it was. Uh, so for example, my daughter's school at the time was in Rocky View and we were just trying to figure out ways to make the school be salvageable um, because I believe in public education. You believe in public, uh, public education. How do we make this work? But it was just the incredible moment of time of this. Um, uh, there was a uh, basically a financial apprehension of the land as well. So I even brought in Derek Bildebrandt, like, okay, 
you love private property. How do we fix this? We have all these willing people. How do we fix this? And the only person who wasn't really at the table, and in my opinion, putting in her effort was the actual MLA, who of course was UCP, who is continuing to represent that area. But regardless, that was one of those heartbreaking moments where it wasn't from a lack of willpower. Like, you know, if Rachel could have changed everything, if Sandra could have changed everything, we would have been able to save that school, but we just couldn't make it work um, with the um, existing budget. Uh, that's another thing was at the time, Joe Cece was the financial minister. So, you know, Sandra being very clever, Joe being really clever, trying to figure out if we could make up the money somewhere, but it, like that budget, it's solid. It's solid. You can't just take from here and make it work in some ways. And you know, buy the land in a last minute deal. Like it, it's, it's complicated. And that was one of those heartbreaking moments where it was like, it didn't matter who the government was at that time. We just weren't going to make that work. So, you know, and, but it wasn't from a lack of, of desire, you know, yeah. it was, it was, everybody wanted it to work except the actual MLA that represented the area at the time. And I'm not going to mention it too much. So I, I've put her in other podcasts under the bus so <laughs> we need to do that i mean one of the things that i mean i really wanted to talk to you about is about uh, there really is opportunity for people who are progressive in their values um who really see um alberta has both the potential and also some momentum toward significant change um and um you know, the next 30 years in this province is, could be really exciting. Uh, there's lots of opportunity for that to happen. And, and I, you know, I think people should really think about um, joining that. Um, because, you know, there was a time, you know, I remember when, uh, um, you know, I, there'd be eight of us working a campaign and uh, I'd, I'd go door to door and drop things in the mailbox because we just didn't have enough time to, uh, um, to actually knock on every door and we didn't have enough money to mail something to every door. So that's all I did, just drop things from, you know, and we were, we were thrilled to have a fundraiser where we got 125 bucks for a night, you know. Um, <laughs> I feel this. <laughs> exactly. So, so those were the days at one time. And like, you know, when I first started to really being active in politics, but that is not true for the, those of us who are on the progressive side anymore. Uh, the reality is that the last number of, of um, quarters, we have far outraised the conservatives in this province, uh, in our party. And, um, and, and uh, that tells me that this province is really ready to make some moves forward and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Which is so great. Yeah, and we know, we've seen Rachel be the leader before, so we know she's fully capable of the job. And, you know, she was the first non-conservative non premier in 44 years. Um, so, you know, there was a lot to take on. She had to build things literally from scratch. We, we, we had nobody inside the government who understood our way of doing things, who, uh, you know, supported our way of doing things. Every single person who worked there uh, had worked under conservatives before. And even if they liked this, they, they only knew how to do things the conservative way. And, um, and so there was a lot to transition on. And I can tell you, when Rachel wins the next time, she doesn't have to go through the same kind of learning curve. Yep. And, uh, you know, she's going to, uh, she's just going to move ahead. And so this is a really a perfect time for those of, of your listeners who are thinking, gee, should I get involved in politics? Uh, the answer is yes. Yes. Um, 
I amplify that. Yes. And your team was kind to me uh, prior to me choosing the liberals and, and reached out to me as well. And if there's anyone listening who's somewhat progressive, and especially if you're native or POC, please, 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 please consider putting your name in. Um, first of all, we need progressive uh, school trustees. I mean, I can't even tell you this fight about Langevin. That's a whole other hour. Um, but basically, we need progressive school trustees. Uh, we need progressive city councillors, progressive mayors. We need, um, and, and that's provincially, like we're all going to be running for the same one. That's why, like, for me, it's exciting to watch uh, Amarjeet Sohi, you know, finally announced that he's running for mayor. That's you know, like we are all like, okay, fine, we'll keep it under wraps, keep it under wraps. And finally, finally, he said it. So, <laughs> but we we need him if Don's not going to rerun, right? So, um, and I met Don at uh, the TRC when it was in Edmonton. Uh, you should have seen my mom and my granny just beaming on both sides of him. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, no, Don certainly had the support of a lot of people. And and as you say, you know, we certainly, as a province, have demonstrated a willingness to put in the Nenshis, the Ivisons, and the, the Notleys um, in the government. So we are a different province than we were 20 years ago, and we're going to be an even more uh, progressive province as time moves on. And so uh, it, you, you mentioned that it's time for people of color, and particularly First Nations people, to um, Métis people, to to uh, put their foot forward to become part of it. And, and let me tell you, if there's any message I can give, that's it. We want you there. Uh, we are more than prepared to support you in, in getting there. Um, and we know it's a bit of a hard road. And we know that uh, many of you will have to lose an election like I did um, before you win an election. Um, and we have people, well, exactly. You know what, Lauren Daka, I was talking, talking to him the other day. He lost three in a row before he won his first one, yeah. you know? and. Um, and that's just the reality sometimes, but it's worth it in the end. And and um, uh, and it's particularly worth it for the province. I know individually it is too, because then you get to do some of the things you've always wanted to do. But for the province, it will be a better province if we have people of color and First Nations and Métis people at the table. Yeah. You know, one of the weird things I've had, and I think I mentioned this to you when we were chatting not too long ago, but. Um, and I often find myself the voice of Indigenous people in this province. And how much, how bizarre can you get, but to have this old white guy being the person at the table saying, okay, let's try to think of this from an Indigenous perspective for a minute here. You know, yeah. and I recognize the absurdity of that. I get it. But, but I'm the only guy at the table, right? I mean, I'm the one that's, that's, that, that has been gifted with enough lessons by enough elders and and political people for for you know whatever number of years they they have been teaching me uh, that I understand enough that I can stop the conversation and say can we at least stop and try to think this through mm -hmm. perspective now I don't always bring the best knowledge and so on to the table but I can tell you in our party we that was received extremely well uh, you know one of the things that happened when I was Minister of Indigenous Relations was that I learned very quickly that the position of Minister of Indigenous Relations was really considered, uh, to use the language there, a backwater ministry for many years. You know, you put somebody there who you wanted to say thanks for all the work you've done for the party, but, you know, no power at all, right? It was just sort of 
you'll be at the table, but you know, as soon as the minister of energy opens their mouth or the minister of, um, of finance opens their mouth, whatever the minister of indigenous relations has to say is irrelevant, right? Yeah. That's the way it was. But when I got to the table, Rachel would never let that happen. Uh, if I spoke up about something, um, I had exactly the amount of airspace and time and consideration that the Minister of Finance or the Minister of Energy or any of the other ministers had. And as a result, we got some important things done. You know, for example, I, uh, you know, I feel like I'm always blowing my own horn about those things, but they were exciting things. And, and I don't want to blow my own horn. What I want is to yes, say I that do. the province was moving forward. And, um, and one of the things is we were the only province and still are the only province that put provincial money into bringing water to First Nations communities uh, and connecting communities to, to uh, you know, water systems around them. And we did a number of them. The only province that's ever done that. And the Conservatives, while there's the, pro the program still exists, they're only fulfilling the ones that we had established when we were in government. They haven't actually added any new ones and they haven't put any new money into the program at all, zero new dollars. So the only thing they're doing is they're connecting the pipes that we had designed and, and put the money for. But you know, that was exciting. And I can tell you that would never have happened under other governments because if the indigenous relations minister had come forward and said, look, we really need to bring clean water to reserves. I mean, we have to do this. This is fundamentally important. They would have been told, oh, it's too expensive or that's a federal issue. Yep. That kind of, there would have been some way of, of, of diminishing them, uh, their, their call for action. And that never happened to me. You know, when I, when I went to the table and I said, look, this is really fundamentally important. I think if there's anything we do, we need to make sure people have the basic necessities of life and, and uh, food, clothing, shelter, water, you know, a, a clean environment are all fundamental to everybody's living, including First Nations. So why aren't we making sure we have that? And then, and then uh, the, um, the finance council came back and said, uh, uh, you know, uh, a month after I made my plea, we have $110 million for you. That's Go amazing. Run your program. You know? That's amazing. And you know, I just, I have to give a plug to Joe CC, who was a finance minister, uh, social worker, former social worker is my understanding, right? So obviously if you, you elect the right people and they put the right priorities up there and that's why it's so important. And like, so I'm like 140 episodes in and I talk about the importance of progressive governance. And I just think that this is such a great example of all of that in one episode, because we, we just could have done this so much sooner had we not had, you know, folks who were, I, you know, I, I really, I struggle with co colonialism and the, um, you know, real estate market and then the expansion of land development that happens within all the cities. Um, that really upsets me that we don't have like treaty um, leadership at the table having these discussions and we've never done that as a province and I'd love to see you know that bigger picture forward thinking in the future but uh, we're not there yet obviously we still got to get folks like yourself elected and um, before we even have an election we have to have platforms and understandings and people who understand what we're talking about um, I wanted to ask you two quick things before I forget one is about the a curriculum um, and that process because it's such a, a disaster and hopefully I'll remember the second one before we get too far but um, yeah so the Alberta curriculum um, like can we talk about what the process was like what you walked into as government 
what you did in government that was so close to being launched and now what you're seeing. Um, and the reason for it, obviously, is because I'm one of the biggest critics to Jason mm -hmm. Kenney's um, pro-colonial, pro-Christian, anti-Indigenous um, curriculum. But there's even more aw awful things in that. So I just want to kind of give you some space to talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, one of the ironic things is he keeps complaining about the NDP curriculum. There was never an NDP curriculum. There was a process that was started under the Conservatives before we won. And um, we all we did is give space for that same process to continue. And one of the big differences was that the Minister David Egan uh, at the time said, let's do more. Let's do all of the curriculum, not just one, you know, let's not just take grade eight math and fix that. Let's go, we look at every grade, we look at every part of the curriculum and let's move ahead. And there was no political interference. Um, you know, the same way curriculum has always been developed. They bring in the experts in, people who know about how to put a curriculum together and what that means and who've read curriculums from all around the world and bring them together with teachers who volunteer their time from the province of Alberta all over the province and sit them down together and say, okay, you, you've been teaching grade six social for 20 years. Tell us what works and what doesn't work. And let's talk to the curriculum people. And how do you design that? And what have we learned over time that would help us teach a better curriculum? And how do we move away from some of the rigidity of the past and, and some of the narrow thinking of the past and, and include be more inclusive? And we gave them very few guidelines. Uh, but one of the guidelines, one of the four pillars, by the way, was that you must include Indigenous histories, traditions, and knowledges from kindergarten to grade 12. That's it. But, but, but we didn't say what that had to read like. We didn't say what that was. We said, go find Indigenous people who can tell you what that looks like. And, uh, and you know, there are certainly a number of Indigenous teachers in this province who, you know, understand about keeping it, you know, as almost every Indigenous person has to do, a foot in each world. Um, and they certainly understood that, and they did. And so this was a very non-political process. And what happened is the, the UCP, even when they were in opposition, started um, this, this started telling this story that somehow we had created a political process um, to develop a curriculum that was going to brainwash all of our kids to be socialist, communist, uh, you know, dictator friendly people. I mean, really, it was just it was absurd. Yeah. Uh, it did not reflect the reality, um, and uh, and. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they then used that to say that we had created an ideological curriculum, which we did not. We hadn't even created one. Right. Um, and then they did exactly what they accused us of doing, yeah. which actually turns out it's an actual strategy that's used by uh, many of the conservative right-wing uh, groups around the world now. It was developed in the States that if you want to do something that's going to be controversial, what you do is you first accuse the opposition of doing it first. Right. And then once everybody hears that, oh, the NDP are so ideological, so terrible, so ideological, and you say that over and over again, then if you act ideological, then um, then everybody goes, oh, well, it's just a pox on both your houses. Uh, they don't blame you. They just say, well, that's just the way the system is, right? And they use that strategy really well. But then they come back with this up, absolutely absurd curriculum. I mean, just terrible. And they told us, well, we did include indigenous histories and knowledges in every grade, but anybody who evaluates 
um, you know, what's gone into that curriculum will tell you it is a huge disappointment. Um, it, it does not reflect anything of what we are asking to be reflected. Um, and, and as you say, is really uh, almost reverting to a 1950s curriculum um, based on, you know, European models of, of study uh, that are more than 50 years old. Yeah, I know. Nobody uses it. I, it's embarrassing. Um, mm -hmm. I remember, I think I heard Danielle Smith talk on her radio or whatever. And anyway, she talked about how all the conservatives of that time, so this was like when Harper was still in, in charge, that all the conservatives went down to the states for conservative camp. And they were basically taught all of this ideological bullcrap. And then they would come back to Canada and try to implement it the best that they could. So mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm well aware that that's what has been happening. There was a really great book that talked about the road to Armageddon and it, it really outlined it by Marcy McDonald. That was a really great book to me, really eye-opening how, um, you know, insidious their uh, ways of, of campaigning and doing are, but regardless, here we are. And I really appreciate you kind of giving um, an overview because I, I tried to explain that to people, but I don't think they understand that this leg legitimately was started under conservatives prior to uh, the orange crush that had happened. And, um, you know, all that great work that was so much bigger than just you know, like for me, obviously, as an Indigenous advocate, I'm always talking about K to 12. Um, and the importance of, you know, revamping that language and, and making it more inclusive. Uh, but I mean, we've just gone in the opposite direction where we've um, really demonized Indigenous with the new curriculum that they have. And, um, you know, we, we have to get away from that. We're supposed to be going more anti-racist and doing that anti-racism work, not, um, you know, erasure, Indigenous erasure. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, let, let me, again, let's go back to the positive just for a moment. The positive is that if Rachel Notley and the NDP win the next election, that's all gone. You know, that curriculum that's been developed under the UCP is gone. And we will go back to the non-political process that existed before, where we get the experts in the room, including Indigenous experts, elders and other, you know, scholars. We've got so many indigenous scholars available to us. It's not like we have to hunt them down. There, frankly, there's a lot of them uh, that we will go back to them, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, sitting down and developing the curriculum. And uh, we will bring in a, a new curriculum um, based on that kind of expert advice. And, and um, you know, I think this is going to be an exciting time over the next few years. Of course, we have to win an election, which is a lot of work. Um, but uh, I, I certainly can tell you that uh, certain things will change almost the day after a, a Notley win again, um, because she doesn't need time anymore. You know, nope. she has many MLAs who have been in government already, and before she didn't, she only had three of them. Um, now she's got many more that have been in government uh, before, and um, and and um, she uh, will just start proceeding uh, with the, the policies that are put together. And in fact, if people want to see some of those policies, they can go to that website that albertasfuture.ca because we're trying to be honest. We're trying to be upfront. And, and of course, not 100% of our policies are there, but people can not only see the policies, but they can actually participate in developing them. Yeah. Uh, the whole point of the website is that you you get on board and you make comments on the policy and you you join consultations and give us your ideas and and uh, watch it get reflected in the ultimate policy as it develops. 
uh, you know, we're really moving ahead right now, and, and I think in a positive way. And, and you know, I, I'm just wanting to, to kind of turn our conversation a bit back to having Indigenous people run uh, to make sure that that voice is consistently at the table and it doesn't depend on the old white guy and whatever lessons he happens to have absorbed as in a short time in office, right? Um, that, uh, that we actually have people who live the experience every day and in every conversation can say, well, can we stop and pause for a moment and think about this from another angle? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, think, I, I think that this is, you know, as I said before, Rachel is totally open to that. Um, and, and, you know, you will have as much voice in the government as any person has, um, you know, nobody wins at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted when I was minister, but I can tell you, I got way more than lots of other ministers have. And I, I can really, I could bore you with the number of programs that I, I was able to see, um, get created in, in our government in my time. Uh, we created a list near the end when we were, of course, campaigning to win again, and it was over 100 items that reflected something we learned from the TRC and the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Um, there's the 100 things that we, we, I could say that we did. Um, and you know what? All of that's still waiting, ready to, ready to move forward, and, and, and it will. But we need people who are Indigenous to move it forward in a way that's I know, fulsome of the Indigenous experience. And one of the things I worry about, um, and maybe it's, you know, just me, but I worry that, 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 um, that some Indigenous people um, just don't see a provincial government as, as their space. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it, you know if, you, if you're part of a First Nations, you say, well, we already have our own nation government. You know, I, I vote for my chief and council and things like that. And so sometimes, sometimes people sort of say, well, it's kind of not my world. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't vote in provincial elections because that's not me, right? Uh, and I worry about that because um, I really think that Indigenous people actually have both a burden and a gift at the same time. And that is the burden and gift of the same thing. That is the, the ability and the kind of demand to live in two worlds at once mm -hmm. um, and uh, to, to live... Uh, fully as Indigenous people, but also live in a non-Indigenous world. And, um, and I think the more the people we can have come forward who understand something about that and understand that, yeah, you continue to vote for your chief and your council. You continue to support um, you know, Indigenous governance and, 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 and defined in Indigenous ways. But at the same time, you get to participate in this other world as well which has huge consequences for your world. And, um, and uh, you know, come to this table and help make this table better so that the two governments aren't in constant conflict with each other. Um, that, that we draw them together so that they start to talk to each other in a better way, that uh, we have better outcomes from that. Um, and I think now is the time to do it. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that Alberta is moving in a direction that is gonna be exciting. Well, and I hope people are inspired from what everything you just said, from the platform that you have 
that was kind of already developed, ready to move forward, the, already the consultation you're doing as a party to uh, Albertans in general, I hope people feel excited to see that they have that space there to be there. And I, I encourage folks to run. I mean, of course, I would prefer you to run under the a different banner, but the orange team has a really great, you know, structure moving forward. Unfortunately, because of the rhetoric of Alberta, you know, we almost do have the two party system with the hopes that the UCP will explode. And then maybe I could feel like, okay, about running red again. But right now, with the threat we're under, we have the two parties and the one is really set up well. <laughs> so if you're excited about that, please consider running. So I tell people, join your local EDA, or I guess, because, so here's the thing. Um, green, they're uh, constitutionally linked orange is constitutionally linked but red isn't so like i i never could get an ndp membership without breaking the liberal constitution and because i'm an idiot who follows all the rules i just wouldn't do it but i would give money and i would door knock and <laughs> you know do do those things at that time but that bigger picture of um you know take out your memberships you don't have to be such if there was a rule that you could break it would be this one that you could actually just get a membership and then once the NDP have your data then they just start emailing you and texting you and encouraging you to come and you need to see yourself in that role if you're and especially if you're like a teacher that's been upset about the whole curriculum thing actually we didn't even talk about how awful COVID was um especially if you were in a, a like teaching position and such so like if you if all of the government regulations that went through in the last little while have upset you run just run and and don't question yourself these yahoos that are in charge right now like they've they've messed it up so i promise you you can do a better job no matter who you are listening right now and i want you to consider running so put your name in get your membership you know start getting your email start going to the town halls that richard's talking about or whichever and just go and get to know all the people see who you like to work with start campaigning start door knocking with richard or other people that you that's in your area that you really like um we had richard miranda just north of where i lived at the time robin luff um you know when i was really into the ndp at that time so like we, we there's good people all around you all, the, all around you so we just find your person and go for it and um and if you have a single question about running message me message richard message the ndp because okay. then you have three people already that are like here let's help you work through this because we need good people to run who are progressive who are smart who are capable like rachel and the team that she had developed and we got to move forward as a province because these yahoos need to go you know, there's a perfect time right now to do all of that because um, we have a convention coming up at the beginning of June and um, June 2nd to 4th, I think. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's a great chance for you to see what's on the table. And of course, we have a fairly, fairly significantly sized um, Indigenous caucus um, who are putting forward motions uh, right now uh, on the table. Um, you know, people like uh, Angela Yellowhorn from down a uh, Pecani way and uh, and um, uh, Lewis Cardinal around here and and uh, lots more you know yep. um, and uh, they they put together I, I know I already I've already seen it because they like to keep me involved uh, a whole list of um, proposals for the convention to be adopted 
um, and all written by Indigenous people to try to help move things along. Um, and if you want to join the party and become part of the, the uh, convention and, and, and vote for those kind of things and be part of a group of people that are actually making it happen, now is a perfect time to make yes. it happen. Yes, so I'm a part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission federally. At the yeah. time, the NDP one wasn't as, as active, but provincially it is. And you've heard these names and you want to join. I promise you, you want to do this. And I know what it's like putting all this work towards a policy and then not having enough votes for it to move forward. So I beg people, consider going to this convention. I promise you, once you go to a convention, you will never stop being political ever. I don't know if I'll ever stop going to a liberal convention until they say, Michelle, you're not allowed to come. So I, I encourage it and, and I would encourage you, Richard will encourage you, the NDP will encourage you, the federal liberals as an Indigenous Peoples Commission, I will encourage you in no matter what direction you want to go, with, but we need you to run and we need you to see yourself as a person that can definitely do it better than some uh, health minister yelling in somebody's driveway. I promise you, you can do better than that. I promise. So and You're not alone. I mean, yeah. there, there are lots of support and lots of other people who really care. Yes. And, you know, I mean, you, you have a whole caucus of people plus a whole group of staff who all really want you to be successful. And, um, and boy, I tell you, I am oh, just overwhelmed on a regular basis at the level of dedication and support and just effort put in by so many people who will never get to sit in front of the camera like me um, because they choose not to run, but they are deeply involved in the party and they do donate their time, their energies, their, and sometimes their money to, to, uh, to make it, you know, other people successful. And I, I can tell you, this is, this is an incredible party for having that kind of grassroots. That's all we had for 50 years was grassroots. We didn't have any electeds. So yeah. we're a grassroots party. Uh, in the real sense of that, you know, people who who create things um, from their communities and and uh, and have already demonstrated that that they can make Alberta a, a better place through progressive politics. You know, and I'm just going to emphasize this point too, where I want you to all go for the full enchilada and put your name in and run. There's also campaign managers. There's so many people that you can take a leadership role within running a campaign. And maybe you do one or two before you run like I did, right? So that's why I encourage people to just join the party. And once you see how easy it is to start doing um, a fundraiser that follows the rules properly, um, and you get comfortable doing that, then of course it's easy to transfer those skills to in municipal campaigns with people that you believe in and, and all these other campaigns. So just strongly encourage people to listen to what Richard and I said, contact the party that you're most interested in and between the three of us, we'll all help you make sure you're confident in moving forward because I need people voting for positive indigenous uh, led created policies that obviously the NDP are doing provincially through their Indigenous Peoples Commission. You know, I'm trying to do federally. So we have lots of folks at the table. I mean, it's not nice. There are a lot of colon like colonial thinkers in all of these parties. You promise you you're going to face racism no matter what party you go to. But at least there's an, an attempt 
you know, at, at this work. So, you know, June is such a fun month for Indigenous people. We all have our Indigenous people or uh, Indigenous Awareness Month. Yeah. So, you know, going to the NDP um, convention, it better be all Indigenous all the time because then you'll be <laughs> like, the, see, this is my party. This is like, it's my month. It's my party. You know, go have fun. And then we're going to crush the UCP in the next election. So thank you so much, Richard, for being on my show. Um, I'm going to do this incredibly long exit that you are more than welcome to chime in at any point in time. And it's just it's things like cultural safety and just reminders to our, our listeners and such. And because you're on my show, this might be the one and only time a lot of like, say, NDP staffers or somebody listens to this show. So that's why I'm going to go through the whole thing. And I promise you the next episode and the previous episode, these are the same things you're going to hear. But just, you know, it's important because sometimes depending on who my guest is, might be the only time people hear this. So um, I'm just going to run through this and I encourage you to chime in as, uh, as I talk, if there's something you want to add to it. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, uh, cultural safety, cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, folks with disabilities, LGBTQ2+. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin for their work on heretohelp.bc.ca and this part about what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it because their work is the cultural actual action tools that we need to be putting in all these nonprofits and such as part of uh, non-Indigenous reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight it and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized uh, folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. You can go to racialequitytools.org, what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins. Uh, there's do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. And then we have a new uh, text uh, to, if you see or experience racism in Alberta, you can report it at act to end racism or text at 587-506-3838. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians with their policies and platforms. And we gave all the space we could to Rachel Motley's team and, and Richard today, because it's important that we acknowledge marginalized people in budgets with gender equity plus. It's important to see if they're cutting uh, violence prevention programs and services. The Indigenous education issues that we have to face as a, as a province, as a country, United uh, Uterus Health Choices, Gay Straight Alliances, Lack of Human Rights for Migrants, Immigrants, Folks with Disabilities. Know that your vote to these parties directly negatively impact marginalized people. So demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, uh, oh, this is a great example of what Richard and I were talking about when it comes to provincial and federal jurisdiction. There are so many existing reports on child welfare reform. If we got a good Indigenous person in that position, we are all social workers. We all go, go to social work in order to, um, you know, try to do better for our people. Now, take those skills, move them into politics so that you can be Joe Cece and give us funding to actually do some child welfare reform. 
uh, violence prevention, 231 calls to justice from the national inquiry. All of these reports are needed to be implemented and it, denying any of this is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the justice, educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say, say the same thing. Here's your opportunity to become a politician and change that with all of this existing structure. Demand change from election platforms, politicians, if they don't understand colonialism, racism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. A great article that I said out loud was truth before truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. So if you are a settler and you're thinking about running, please know you are being watched by the rest of us to see what kind of ally you are. And you can hear Richard talking about, you know, sometimes being the only white guy at the table and still having to put out that um, point of view in that conversation. And bless you for it, Richard. Um, if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls in Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is toll free, national, 24-7 crisis line. Uh, Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area, usually with a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. Again, if you see or experience racism, please text 587-506-3838, and that is Act to End Racism. And I also report on um, a provincial uh, stop hate uh, website, which I hope that you all do. Trevor Project has lots of supports for LGBTQ2+. Uh, they have youth, they have um, peer support as well. Uh, kids help phone, you can go to 1-800-668-6868 and go to lifevoices.ca for crisis supports and LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports. Violence is my everyday reality. Every indigenous generation has faced it and that's why I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't wanna hear indigenous opinion, but sure wanna tell us theirs by people who know nothing about indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils and our rights, microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who then become gatekeepers or survive off the status quo, folks who are still really in their trauma and stop people from doing the work and deplete uh, resources. Internal, external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my mom, my granny of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, he has been my support down my red road journey. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism to our child. We are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they'll understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. 
thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts or on social media, my pin posts. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening. <laughs> ah, and that's my show. Thanks for being on, Richard. Yeah, really appreciated the time. <laughs>